listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from MegaWin Guard Studios. Aaron, here we are, buddy, kicking off another episode of Bass Edge Radio, clocking in at number 381. Aaron, I got, I got to mention, no major holidays, right, in the month of August, but from a pattern in bass fishing perspective, I would say it is the official entry into the dog days of summer, brother. What you, what you been up to? I've been sweating down here in Del Rio. Holy smokes, yes. Widespread, obviously, drought, heat for the summer would agree with you dog days of summer which makes it the perfect time kurt to do a little shopping you know check yeah, out the right. mega work heel guard they have been with us from day one 385 episodes bringing the goods here on bass edge radio uh first do it yourself keel protector the battery guard the flex step so many things going on over there and for those that haven't make sure that you go to keelguard.com to check out all of their products kurt tackle warehouse pro season finale right now going on live as this show comes to air yeah man it's a wild event to conclude at champlain right you got the points race going on this is their sixth event final regular season event determining who's going to make that title championship and uh dude i mean two pounds could separate 30 40 even up to maybe like 50 spots so ounces so critical and uh, a wild as always is champlain a wild finish in you especially when you have it at the conclusion of your points race man it's uh culling critical this tournament right yeah for sure you know and i always kind of reminds me of like uh, tournaments on bull shoals to where you get those just marginal weights that can make a lot of difference you don't think that that's the case but then when you come in uh, like you said two pounds can either get you a handshake and a big check or a pat on the back that says hey go get them next time <laughs> so right right yeah it's like catching a couple three nines versus three fours or three fives at the you know that's like eight, nine, 12, whatever it is, ounces, you know, at the end of the day, just those little calls or just that little bit better quality fish. And, and it can make a difference of 15 to 20 spots at the standings, just that little bit yeah. of weight. So it's a, it's a wild deal to watch, but it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And speaking of ounces, let's go to pounds. Talking about two bags <laughs> over a hundred pounds. What in the Dude. world? I think that was on the, uh, the St. Lawrence, right? Yeah, man. They went out of Clayton, New York for the Bassmaster Elite Series. They had been going out of Waddington, right? And and anglers had to make these huge long runs to to really, you know, get in that mid-20s range. A little bit tougher to hit that mid-20s for five fish limit in the river. A little bit easier to hit it on the lake. So they went out of Clayton, New York, which is much closer to the lake. And, dude, that's why it was so crazy. And day one, on day one, Aaron, 20 pounds even got you 60th place out of like 95 elite series anglers how, how many times how many times have you walked across the stage oh with God. 20 pounds and you're in 60th place you're like uh, now, I, I, you know i feel like that's a good day and then you're just like uh okay i didn't even <laughs> I, w I would say probably for 80 percent of the country you know, 20 pounds of smallmouth is an epic bag and you cruise across the stage, you drop them on the scale and they're like, better luck tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even get you a shout out. They just hand you yeah. your weigh-in slip, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so congrats to Corey Johnston. Let me mention real quick. And uh, you're much better at pronouncing yeah, Jay Jay's Prescott. last name. 
Yeah, right. Jay, Jay, Jay Prescott. Prescott. I think he Thank had 102.9 and Corey had 100.5. So hats That's off correct. to them. And, That's you know, um, shifting gears a little bit, Kurt, somebody, two, really two people that have kind of made these whole discussions and really our sport, both just consummate professionals and, and really just, you know, two individuals that have taken our sport to where it is today. And that is, uh, you know, the passing of Ray Scott and D. Thomas. Yeah, man. Uh, of course, Ray Scott, more or less the inventor of tournament bass fishing probably we don't have much of a podcast if it wasn't for ray scott his vision of education which we're based here yeah conservation yes conservation as well um just you know creating a sport out of a recreational hobby right that that's really what ray is and then d out there in california d thomas uh icon also fished many bass events early in in ray scott's uh organization and uh d the father of flipping right uh he he more or less invented it out there you know on the california delta flipping up big fish uh, on the toolies and that kind of thing so uh certainly your thoughts and prayers with uh those families and uh obviously they'll be greatly missed in the bass fishing community no doubt and then of course um ray scott's legacy meaning Bassmaster, they came out with some pretty uh, new announcements i guess concerning moving forward yeah aaron with the elite series uh, as you're aware you know they announced this uh, a couple weeks ago little scuttlebutt out there on social media about it but uh you know they've always changed the Bassmaster opens programming you know it seems like every three or four years they do a little changing whether it's having two divisions five tournaments in divisions having three divisions you know change up how how anglers qualify to fish the Bassmaster Elite Series. Uh, now with this announcement, anglers fishing the Bassmaster Opens in attempt to qualify for the 2024 Elite Series will have to fish all nine Bassmaster Opens in 2023, and the overall Angler of the Year standings in those Opens will determine the qualifiers. The top nine get the invite. Top nine of the Bassmaster opens in 2023 man i'm looking at probably this is going to cost an angler about 35k you put a guy like me out there it's probably gonna be a little closer to 40k you well, put you gotta young- you gotta have those nicer <laughs> hotels and you know or, or nicer campgrounds i should say you gotta have a little <laughs> right. comfort we're getting older kurt yes 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 but i think you can get it done for about 35k you add everything up the biggest expense is going to be fuel uh even if fuel prices go down a little bit it's probably still going to be the biggest expense second largest expense in this effort will, will be the entry fees. Uh, third will be the lodging. Then you kind of break it down from there with food, incidentals, and uh, all of a sudden you're on your way to qualify for the Bassmaster Elite Series if you fish all nine events in the Bassmaster Opens for 2023. Aaron, you know, I've been uh, just got home. It's been about 10 days, 10 or 12 days since I got home from iCast. We haven't talked about it here in the opener, but that's because we've got a special guest with our segment B programming. We are going to give you the full scoop on George Accord from Susquehanna Fishing Tackle's assessment of iCast 2022. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Bass Edge Radio. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. 
Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, as I mentioned in the uh, close there of the intro, we're going to dive into some iCast 2022 thoughts. And man, it's great to have a longtime friend. And and I'll go ahead and say he's a certified tackle junkie. <laughs> we got him on the show today. Owns a retail shop with his brother, Mike Susquehanna Fishing Tackle over there in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Man, welcome industry veteran from Angler to tackle shop owner george accord to the podcast george thanks for stopping into bass edge radio yeah my pleasure i appreciate you guys uh offering the invite you know never turn down any media (laughs) well i appreciate that even even if it's with aaron (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i actually met aaron many many years ago at a a harrisburg sports show and uh I forget exactly yeah. what he was doing there, and I knew what I was doing there, but I wish I wasn't there. Yeah, George, um, that was in the early days. I was actually going to bring that up. 2000, probably seven, eight-ish at Harrisburg. Uh, we were up there for two years. Um, yeah, so that that was in the days of Bass Edge Television back in the day. Yeah, that was kind of the end of my run there. We were still trying to squeeze everything we could exposure-wise out of every show. That, that show there was more protect the home turf, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a great show. I, I always remember the first time I ever went there. It was like an episode for auditioning for American Idol. People were lined up around the block in the freezing cold. But uh, anyway, we better get on to the, onto the task because I, I want to make sure that we can get as much information out of you as what we can concerning just the tackle business, your experience at ICAST. And, you know, if listeners are unaware, Susquehanna Fishing Tackle, owned by George and Mike, as Kurt mentioned there in Columbia, Pennsylvania, is a dynamite shop in the Northeast. You know, and you guys offer online sales as well. George, what trends have have you seen from consumers at the shop kind of the spring into the summer that Bass Edge listeners should be having access to or, or if not in their tackle box? Opposite ends of the spectrum, actually. Finesse trends have been super popular um, coming out of, um, you know, the, the late winter into the into the spring season. There was a ton of interest in things like a Nico rig, which obviously is not new, but it's caught a lot of people's attention who are not have not been exposed to it. So that was a big thing. Some of the other kind of, I don't know what you call them, fringe or different finesse rigs, like what's being called the chicken rig. That had a, a minute of fame there and everybody wanted to get ramped up on. So generally finesse rigs, drop shot, Nico rig, the chicken rig. I guess that's what it's called. I don't know. I never made a cast with one in my life. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell he's big on the chicken rig. He's probably pushing that uh, seen, seen a few video that he's done. And, and those kind of things help a lot in sales sometimes, don't they? Well, they do. Uh, and I think they help people catch fish. I know uh, one of the guys that works here is a never ending student of the sport and he watched Ike's videos on it and jumped right on it and took it to his local lake, which is fairly well pressured as most are. And he did great things with it. Came into the store, shared his knowledge with uh, the customers, ramped up, you know, interest in some products. He's a big, uh, 
we call him Skeeter Steve. He's uh, everybody here has a nickname. He's Skeeter Steve. <laughs> I can't and, say cards uh, on air. He's a big so. finesse guy, and 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 he jumped on that uh, that little crawl that G Crack makes, and he was chicken rigging that thing and catching the fire out of fish. So that was like one end of the spectrum of overall consumer interest, and the other end is the opposite, and it was big swim baits. Obviously not new, but I think receiving a ton of interest these days. You know, there's a lot of swim bait people on social media and on, you know, fishing news and channels of all kinds. And, you know, it's really gotten a lot of people to do a little more than just dip their toe in the pool. They kind of jumped in a little bit and got into not necessarily mega big swim baits, but, you know, a bigger glide bait, um, you know, the S waiver style, but a little bigger than what most people may have been comfortable with. You know, they, they probably started off with, you know, the small little boot foot on the ball head and then right. progressed from there. So those are the two big trends this year that we saw just over and over and over and still are. Very cool. Yeah, I feel like that uh, swim bait deal was at one time a novelty item, and now you're just getting that push of some tournament anglers, but specifically recreational anglers that are, like you mentioned, more than dipping their toe in. They're really enjoying going out there and, and putting that technique to the test and trying a lot of different products that, that are being offered in that segment. So yeah. definitely a growing segment. George, you know, seeing you at ICAST just, you know, 10 or 12 days ago, man, uh, a pleasure as always. I got to get your breakdown. I know you were able to walk the show floor probably 10 times more steps than I did. I was I was kind of stuck there in the Hayabusa Reigns booth doing my thing. I got to look around a little bit, but what are three or four items you saw at the show that really turned your head? That's literally the most um, asked question to retailers that are at ICAST. Like every meeting begins with what's the hottest thing you saw here at the show? You know, that kind of question. And it was really cool because the hottest thing I saw at the show was the first thing I looked at. And it was the day before the show at the On the Water event. And I know you know where I'm going with this. Um, I, I do, I that, think. It's that Z-Man, it's a topwater, it's a hybrid swim bait topwater combo is what I'm calling it. It's called the Hellraiser. What caught my eye about it was, first of all, it was Z-Man. And, you know, we are a very big Z-Man shop here. Um, we love the brand. Uh, their products are legit. So, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this Hellraiser. I'm, the blade on the back immediately catches my eye as kind the, of a chatterbait blade, right? You got they got a weighted chatterbait blade that's assisting well, in it's, action. It's, it is. It's actually the blade off of uh, off of a Strike King bait that came out years ago that was not owned by striking it was owned by ron davis who invented the chatterbait and you know he also came up with that style of blade that you're seeing on the hellraiser and um kind of leased that out to strike king and when that contract ran out this guy's the consummate tinkerer right right and he designed this bait and it really caught my eye because you cast it out and you reel it in you don't do anything <laughs> else so right right <laughs> You know, for a lot of fishermen who maybe not are or maybe are new, um, you know, top water, you know, walking the dog can be a little intimidating. How hard do I pop a popper? This is literally cast it out and reel it in. We had a chance to fish it on their pond. It is legit. Uh, as a matter of fact, the last thing I did before I went home last night was drop my preseason order for him because I want in line on that bad boy. The second thing I saw, believe it or not, 
is a spinnerbait. Now, I know there's probably Lord knows how many spinnerbaits in the world. This is a mustad spinnerbait. So mustad is branching out. They're getting out of their lane, and they're branching out, and they're doing like, you know, they bought live targets, so that gave them an exposure into the lure business. They built a spinnerbait called the arm lock. And I, I would like for you guys to uh, look this up okay. um, and get a picture of it because it may solve one of the biggest problems ever. And that is, you know, boat flipping a small mouth and having them just straighten your arm out. This thing has a secondary arm that locks into the head that acts as a brace. And uh, I, I mean, it instantly just impressed the heck out of me. So it's a quality bait. All the componentry is, is real quality. Believe it or not. George's number two at ICAST is a spinnerbait, if you can believe like that. It. You would think so, spinnerbait have been done to death. I'm looking at it as you told me to look it up. I did I did exactly what you asked. And and I see it's it's basically a additional arm instead of coming straight out of the head and going right into the arm bend, which it does. It also has an additional wire arm at the area where the head meets the hook that runs up into that R bend, like you mentioned, to give it some additional uh, support so that yeah. you, know, you just don't break that bend, that arm, which which we've seen that, and I know I've seen that in, in some other brands of recently that you know it's the tension of the of that wire blade that gives you the vibration of the blades right so you want kind of a you know you, you go back to the old days and it was all the piano wire you know the different uh diameters of the wire were really important because that was how much vibration you got but if you got a lot of vibration that means you had kind of a weak wire right and then you had problems Probably like you, you mentioned you breaking yeah, exactly. So, man, this that is super cool. What's number three, George? Keep them coming, brother. Well, number three is more an observation than it is a product, and it's 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 hook companies. I didn't think we could have five more hook companies. I, I didn't think we could have that. I, <laughs> I mean, didn't either. <laughs> Kurt, you've been to my shop. I mean, my hook aisle is like 32 foot long, and you can't put another <laughs> pack of hooks on that aisle. And here we have all these brands that it's kind of like there must be a lot of money in hooks to entice so many companies to uh, try to compete with all the various brands out there. You know, we have all these wonderful hook companies, you know, just name your top five, six brands and think about all of the styles of hooks. You know, we, uh, our shop is heavy on the bass, but we're also a fishing shop. I mean, you go in my hook aisle, and you look at the hooks. I mean, you got little tiny itty bitty size twenty hooks all the way up to sixteen knot giant beast master hooks and <laughs> right, right. every kind of hook in between. <laughs> and we got more hook companies, right? I know that yeah, speaks to you a little bit, Kurt. It, it does it's um it's amazing how, you know, the brands have blossomed over the last uh really two to four years. And it seems like other companies, major manufacturers, right? Berkeley, uh, several years back, made the big jump in with the fusion right. models of, of Berkeley hooks. Then, of course, you got VMC. They keep pounding, you know, which parent company, Rapala, right? So you got a lot of the major manufacturers, and now you're seeing a lot of these uh, medium 
to smaller companies get into uh, the realm and some make it and some don't you know you've got some interesting designs out there i think spear point right now probably one of the more different styles of hooks out there we we saw one like that uh, a couple years ago come out and and they just didn't make it so it'll be interesting how this progresses and and what these companies can do to kind of separate themselves a little bit you talk about mustad getting into the lure market, buying Live Target, Hayabusa, you know, company that I work with, launched a swim jig uh, a couple years ago that's been very, very popular. So they're definitely having to open their brand style in order to gain more market share and really eyeballs of the consumers, right? Yeah, well, you know, not to mention the last couple of years in the tackle business have been a total free-for-all and just insanely selling everything that you can get your hands on. Sure. And I think it's enticed a lot of these companies. I mean, Mustad's a huge company with a ton of capital behind them. They launched a, a series of rods. I mean, they had a series of combos. You know, they're going into this whole slow pitch market in a big way for the offshore tuna fishermen. I mean, they're just doing everything at one time. They're not like launching like a uh, live target and then, well, you know, next spring we'll launch this. No, they're just boom, all of it at one time, you know, from, from jig heads to line. You know, they bought Tough Line. They bought Live Target, as I said, and, and now they're doing rods, and some of them are high end. I saw the price on one of them was like $350 retail. Wow. So my, I know you asked my top three, but 3A is in the same vein as hook companies, and that is rod. I'm not going to say necessarily companies, but companies that are selling rods. They're not necessarily making them, but they're selling them. I mean, the rod market is becoming saturated. It was interesting. There was a couple of mid mid-sized rod companies that didn't even show at ICAST this year. I guess they they felt like it, it was just time to uh, do something a little bit different from a promotional standpoint for the retailers. It's very expensive. I mean, I know several companies that that we do a lot of business with that stopped going several years ago. They felt that expenditure could be better used a little more one-on-one with retailers and um i get it it's really expensive some of the big boy companies i i can only imagine what they spent i yeah, mean it's, just from dinners to lodging to on and on and on but uh it's quite the production yeah, guess, for sure it is you know and the other aspect of it that i'm not so sure is the best for our industry it's not bad but i don't think it's the best is it's really really become a media event there was Guys like me and Mike, there was not a lot of us there. You know, the retailer, first of all, we are super busy right now. And it is a very stressful time for, like, your team to leave. And the guys and the gals that stay back to work are, like, under the gun. So it's a tough time for retailers to go to a big show like this. And it's really, um, I mean, it's good. It's really good for us, but, you know, it's like... I don't know. I mean, I could see I could see where possibly we would maybe not go in the future at some point if it keeps trending the way it's trending. Well, and speaking of trends, George, from your perspective, you know, as, as we kind of close this segment down, you've you have many years of seeing consumer trends. We're at an interesting time, economically speaking. You know, where do you see bass fishing going over the next five years from a technique and compatible lure presentations? You know, one thing that intrigues me is the, the gravity plastic baits. 
Yeah, you know, I see a couple things happening in bass fishing, one of which I really like. One trend I really like is the youth trend. So from a longevity of our sport, you know, we have all these wonderful high school programs. We have all these wonderful college programs. And I imagine the rest of the countries, much like our area here, we have tremendous work being done by groups of people with youth youth bass clubs and bass fishermen who are passionate about youth taking their time and resources to introduce kids to fish. And so, you know, that is a, is something I see, but it, it sparks a trend. And that trend is, you know, very, very social media driven. These young fishermen are really very savvy. They have a appetite that can't be filled with knowledge and they're not afraid to fish any kind of technique. You know, when I was young coming up, man, give me a big rod and a jig, get out of my way. I don't want to learn anything else. These guys, they want to learn every little. So from a manufacturer's standpoint of view and from a, a tackle business standpoint of view, things like colors are very important. I hear it literally from the young people every single day. You know, I had two guys in here last night right as I was closing and they actually came down to two reel choices for them, and they both chose the one that matched the color of the rod. You know, they're both good reels, don't get me wrong, but I think the manufacturer needs to pay attention to things like that. I know we do pay attention, even to the color of the braid. You know, look at uh, PowerPro when they brought out their Super Slick. Yeah. They brought it out in like six colors, you know, and it's kind of ridiculous to think that you should stock all six colors in every <laughs> size. In one it's got to be tough for you guys, yes, yes. But you do, and... So I think things like that from a sales perspective, but the biggest thing I see trend-wise is the youth, and it's a powerful deal. It really is, and I think we should pay way more attention to high school bass anglers, and speaking just of bass here, of course, high school bass anglers, college bass anglers. You know, I know we've we've even tried, you know, writing contracts with colleges. You know, we worked with Shimano in the early days of college anglers to actually generate a contract to sign up uh, with the Penn State University bass team. Right. And, you know, here's what we expect from you and here's what we're going to provide for you and blah, 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 blah. And so that was very interesting. So I, I really think that's not really a trend in, in tackle, but it's a trend in business that leads to paying attention to every little detail in tackle. Good stuff. Good stuff, George. Well, hey, and, and I agree, you know, what you saw this spring, you mentioned earlier in, in this segment uh, about the finesse and uh, Aaron, you you popped in on the gravity plastic baits. I think those are two things that, uh, you know, folks want to get bites. Bites are important. Big swim baits are fun. They're cool to watch. Sometimes you get a lot of follows. Sometimes you get a lot of bites. But uh, the finesse approach, especially with uh, gaining uh, recognition of the fact that waterways are are becoming more pressured and uh, water is at a premium. Those things are, are certainly items to uh, continue to watch and be a part of. Man, George, thank you so much for giving us your take on iCast, some consumer industry trends. Tell us again how to find your brick and mortar location there in Pennsylvania and the online store website so Bass Edge Nation can find you out there. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to share three things with you here. So we're located in Columbia, Pennsylvania, just outside of Lancaster. Real easy to get to the shop here. Uh, we do get a lot of people that commute in here from like the three or four state area because it's very easy to get here. We'd love to have you stop by. We're very proud of our store. 
we have a 5,000 square foot showroom that is a, it's a Mecca and uh, you need to stop by and, and meet our staff. If you can't, we are a player in the online game and we've kind of been doing that in some shape or form since Al Gore invented the internet and, uh, <laughs> you know, SFT, that's Sam Frank Tom, SFTTackle.com. We have a uh, very active marketing and social media team that updates the website daily and throws all kinds of little social media deals out there. And then if I may, every Thursday night, we do a live show that's called Tackle Shop Live, and we do it right here from the uh, headquarters, SFT, and it's kind of a shoot from the hip. It's pretty much raw and totally unscripted. We basically start out with a somewhat of an idea of what we want to talk about. We got a little sports center segment that we call uh, tournament talk. We got a little nuts and bolts segment that we call tackle talk. And then we try to talk about some technique and basically have fun. Um, That's every Thursday. And have a, and have a beer or two along the way. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's the end of a long day of work and um, we do have a beverage or two involved. Actually, we get some, we get some sponsors on that front. We have some people stop by and sort of sponsor our show there. The, they do, yeah. We have a, you know, like most parts of the country, we have a really good brewing uh, companies around here, and some of those guys will stop by and drop something off. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So. Well, it's a great yeah. time. We'll have to. I've I've watched it uh, a few Thursday nights. Uh, I'll continue watching it. And uh, George, again, thank you for being on the show with us in this episode of Bass Edge Radio. Uh, listeners, stay tuned. We've got a uh, awesome featured angler on this episode as well. George, take care. We'll be in touch. Everybody, stay tuned. We'll be back right after these messages. I am Bassmaster Elite Series Angler Patrick Walters. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler Trevor Fitzgerald. This is BASS Elite Series Pro Brandon Polonay. I am MLF Big Five Pro Circuit Angler Gray Buff. This is 2020 BASS Angler of the Year Clark Winland. Stay right here for more Bass Edge Radio. Know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, this should be another awesome interview, man. I feel like, you know, this is a professional angler. Could be slightly under the radar for the casual bass tournament fan, but, man, I got to tell you, if you're a junkie like me, you know something special is going on with this guy. Two-time MPFL champion, current BASS overall AOY leader in the Opens, part ownership in the Bass Tank out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Fantastic to have on the show, John Sukup. Welcome to Bass Edge Radio, John. Yeah, I'm proud to be here, Kurt. 
Thanks for inviting me. John, you absolutely lit it up in the NPFL League in 2021. Almost consider that a mic drop. And your tournament resume isn't like it's it's lengthy. So to see kind of that success that you had there, um, how do you describe your background prior to 2021? And how did it set you up really for this quick success? Well, I don't think anybody likes long answers, Aaron, but I, I do have a long answer. To, <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> Listen, I'm 40 years old. My first word was fish. <laughs> I have ate, slept, and dreamed about fishing since I was born. Uh, we had a fish farm when I was a kid. I drowned at two years old in a koi pond in the backyard. And Damn. I was raised, uh, I was raised, my dad was an auto body man, but as a side hobby and job, we grew koi. We had mud bottom ponds and we'd stain them. And every day, we were either catching fish with our hands or we were catching fish with a rod and reel. And that's all I remember through my childhood. Other than playing a lot of sports and everything else that, you know, a lot of people do. I was a fishing nerd. I was definitely the kid that was made fun of for loving, loving fish. And, and I, and I love everything about the behavior of fish and, and the nature down to, you know, like I said, raising the koi. I mean, there's, there's a lot of technicalities of, of how to raise a fish properly in a mud bottom pond. And you get into the environment of the fish down to the rotifers and the daphnia and like, different photoplankton and like that. And so that all has been with me now when I was, you know, I got married young at 21, um, younger with nothing to my name. We had nothing. And so from 21 to 27, I didn't even fish. My wife didn't even know I liked to fish. I know that's kind of a weird thing. Um, but I, but, but I put it all aside to work 80, hundred hour weeks laying tile to provide for my family. And at about 27, I got introduced to the Bass Nation through one of my builders as I was there laying tile. He was actually trying to teach me how to lay tile, <laughs> and I invited him. He was wearing a ranger hat, and I said, hey, man, how about I just do you the best tile I've ever seen? You know, you got, you're got you young. You got pride, right? Too much pride a lot of times. And I'm like, well, when I do, you just take me out in your ranger. And he said, he said, oh, yeah, you, you like fishing? And this was my quote. I said, yeah, I'm a bass pro. I'm a closet pro. One of these days I'll come out. <laughs> and, that's and that's how I have always – I've always felt uh, attached to fish. Now, I did go through a time period where I didn't because of responsibilities where I couldn't fish. But back then, he introduced me to the Bass Nation. Back then, the co-anglers fished against the boaters, right? Remember the old format? And my first year as a co-angler, I actually made it to the Bass Nation National Championship. My first tournament as a boater was in the 2009 Bass Nation National Championship on Harris Chain. That was the first time I'd ever drove a boat in a tournament on my own. Oh my God, that's freaking awesome, man. So it actually lit a fire in me, the competition side and, and then the love of fishing. And, and, and so I, I made it back to the Bass Nation National Championship again around 2014. So I was, I think, two pounds away that year and three pounds away the first year to qualify for the Bassmaster Classic. So I've been, you know, one fish away in a three day tournament twice for the Bassmaster Classic. And then, uh, you know, listen, with all the responsibilities and, and a flooring company, the tile, it's all the big three are schools, casinos, hospitals. And in the summertime, I mean, you're just dedicated night work, you know, weekend work, holiday work. Right. There's just not a lot of time for me to compete. Now, it doesn't mean I wasn't fishing all the time. Every chance I got, I'm winning local jackpots all the time and, and things like that. But it was a slow build that I'm happy with. I'm proud of my slow build, to be honest with you. And in 2018, I fished the Force Wood Cup. I qualified through the coast, as I think, in 2017. So 2018, I fished the Force Wood Cup the second to last one there on um, Washita. And during that time frame, uh, my dad actually, he died. He passed away with cancer. Uh, he didn't actually get to see me fish the Forcewood Cup, but he saw me qualify and he knew I was going to fish. And so there was a mental change that happened at that moment in 2018. I loved 
the opportunity, I thought it was going to be the last opportunity I ever had and the only opportunity I ever had to fish kind of, you know, quote unquote, professionally at the Fort yeah. Wood Cup. Especially like a championship of that magnitude. <clears throat> I mean, at that time, you had the Cup and the Classic, right? Those, those were it. Yeah. So all these big tournaments that I had qualified for, they were mediocre finishes. But what happened during the Forest Wood Cup in 2018 is my boat broke down. I had a brand new boat, brand new electronics. Not going to talk brands because I don't think that really matters because I just got on catching them really, really good. And when it broke down and when it started, I was calling and I couldn't, I couldn't get the boat to start back. It was real windy. It was blowing me off. Um, you know, I found that I found the deal to at least do decent. And when I finally got the boat started, I just decided to go in because I didn't want to miss weigh-in. Day one, my boat wouldn't start to take off. Day two, it broke down on me during the middle of the day. So I was actually happy. I actually was content. It was definitely like one of those spiritual moments in life where you just, you feel like God blessed you with something when you're losing your father and you had this love and share for fish your whole life. That was my bond with my dad, by the way. That, that and maybe watching yeah. college football or something, you know, fishing, hunting, that was my bond with my father. And so this was a special moment. And I, when I got back, my buddy, Scott Palmer, who we had already started a company called The Bass Tank, but we hadn't done anything with it. The Bass Tank was, we had all these little ideas that we wanted to figure out how to take it to market. And so we considered it like a think tank for bass fishing. That's where the name of the bass tank comes from. And so we had already started it, LLC formed and all that, but we weren't doing anything with it per se. Okay. So Scott's there. He's an engineer and he's driving me back to hot springs. And I'm telling him about breaking down. And he's just as frustrated as can be. And he gets in the boat and he's digging through everything. And just like the light bulbs went off. And I looked at Scott and I said, Hey, Scott. I said, you know, if this is happening to me, like today, I'm one of the 50 most important anglers in the world today, not tomorrow, but today at the cup, you know, all eyes are on you. Right. And if this is happening to me, then this is happening to everybody in the industry, you know, and I was blessed with the opportunity to have a live scope on my boat already. I was one of the first five guys probably to ever even have one on the boat, just geographically where I'm located. It just fell on my lap that way. It wasn't because I was more important or anything like that. Just right there in the heart of Tulsa. So he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, if we can help this solve this problem, maybe this is something the Bass Tank can do. And so that was the birth of us getting in the electronics business. It was actually me breaking down in the Force Wood Cup. Very and cool. it's been the heart of the Bass Tank since the beginning was if, you know, things in the industry aren't going the right way, we're going to have solutions. Um, and then, boom, that I mean, the Bass Tank just took off and was not expected. And with its takeoff, it gave me the opportunity. Um, without the Bass Tank, I would not be fishing professionally. Right. And so in around 2019, so that was 18, around the beginning of 19, it is when you started hearing rumors of this league called the National Professional Fishing League. And so I sent in my resume because I wanted to fish on a high level. And I knew that that was probably better opportunity for me to get into a resume than it would be to work my way up, like through the tour. And then, you know, the tour was having its issues too when it collapsed of the, you know, the cup and all that. So all that was going on. And so I just thought that that would probably be the smartest route for me. And it just would fit me as a person. And I was accepted. So when I got accepted in 2019, um, I think they announced it something like maybe at the 2020 classic or something. I, I might be off a little bit on my date. Yeah, um, I think that's about, I think I, that's about right. 2020 classic. And that's when they announced that they were going to kick off a season in 2021. Yeah. So I just spent all that time putting it into the business. And what that did is the first guys to catch on and really want to know about uh, live scope and uh, things of that nature were the crappie guys. So I trained a whole bunch of crappie guides how to use, you know, forward shooting sonar, like live scope at that time. And through that process, I got an invite. Zeke actually is our sales rep because he's a crappie nerd. He got invited to fish the Wally Marshall. Um, 
and, and when he got the, he got invited the last week, and Zeke was like, "Yeah, I can go," but John's my partner, and he's like, "Well, John's a bachelor." And like, "Yeah, but he has the boat. I don't have a boat." So, <laughs> <laughs> it's a team tournament. So Zeke and I, we fished the inaugural Wally Marshall. I'm going to call it the Crappie Classic because uh, that's the best way to describe it. The Bass Master Classic of crappie fishing. And the first day everybody's practicing, man, we're at the shop in Tulsa or Sepulpa getting loaded up. The second day, we're driving there. Like, we got a day of practice on the water, and it was horrible fishing for crappie. Like, the fish were not biting at all. Long story short, uh, we ended up getting second place in the event. So we got second, and um, it was good for the company. And so kind of with my renewed mindset of my, with my dad passing and stuff, I was just enjoying fishing. And I knew that somewhere in 2021, I'd be fishing a professional trail. So I just took that year and a half it was completely off from bass fishing, and I just focused on crappie fishing. So I actually fished the American Crappie Trail, the Crappie Masters Trail, and Zeke and I went and we fished the professional crappie trails for the next year. And so as soon as the second Wally Marshall was over, I put my crappie rods down and, and picked up my bass rods. And, and here we go, go, MPFL. go the MPFL. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of catches you up to that timeline. So I don't think my success was just overnight. It may look like it to others, but there's thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of dreaming about fish, you know? <laughs> that <are behind laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's usually kind of like the way that the whole thing, I guess, kind of progresses. It's great to hear your story and, and for Bass Edge listeners to hear your story is, you know, no matter who we ask, it is a unique process and you never know how it's going to matriculate into this thing that we see from the outside but it's always fun to hear everybody's story and how that how that comes out and and john knowing me knowing you i i went to the bass tank a couple years back before lawrence came out with their uh live scope edition and checked out that garmin man we spent a couple days on the water i know your expertise with this thing you are a legitimate live scoper i mean and uh, it's been validated obviously this is your preferred method of fishing right i mean live scoping is is john Sokup. is that right I, i've struggled with this question kurt i i gotta tell you i love bass i love learning their behavior i love right, right. figuring them out i may love figuring fish out more than i love catching them as weird as that sounds I love going to new bodies of water, throwing me on there, giving me two days and like, oh yeah, I found them. And then you know what? My dad would hate it. Like he would hate it when you're we pre-fishing. He's like, I want to set the hook. I was like, nope. And I would love just figuring them out. Once I figured them out, I saw it. I didn't need to set the hook on anything. And that is one thing that the electronics and technology, including LiveScope, allows you to do. And that feeds my hunger to figure out fish. Yeah, that's cool. But if the truth be told, if you just say, John, we're going to catch eight pounders on LiveScope using a jerkbait, where we're going to go catch eight pounders and a frog. I'm choosing the frog all day long. <laughs> so I, I get torn. And, you, and it's funny because I do have an advantage on the live scope. And so obviously I'm going to use every advantage I have in every occasion that I have. I'm pretty much any lake, anywhere, any time of year. When I first hit the water, I'm going to go out and look for an opportunity, just like Mike Tyson throwing his uppercut. He's looking for that opportunity, right? I'm looking for that opportunity to throw my uppercut, which is my life scope skills, to do something different, better than other people can do. But I love just getting shallow. I really, really love it. I think, I think that comes from the days being a kid when we didn't have money, we didn't have a boat, and what boat we did didn't have a gas motor on it, and we are just dropping belly boats in the backs of creeks in the springtime, throwing, you know, pushing in the backs of creeks. And that's just, that's my child. And I think you always revert back to where, yeah, how you learn. That's your roots, right? Yeah. You know, that's, that, yeah. that's how this all came about. One quick question, John. Are you able to use the live scoping through all tournament seasons and patterns, I guess, if you will? 
Yeah, so the answer to that is yes. Now, that's kind of a complicated answer because it's not used the same way every single time a method. And, and, I'll, and I'll break it down this way. I'll explain it this way. There's basically three ways you're using forward shooting sonar. You're using forward shooting sonar to chase individual fish and put a lure on its head and, and, to, and to coax that fish and to trigger that fish into biting. And that's what a lot of people think live scoping is. But no, you cannot do that in every single situation. And I've learned that by trial and error. But that's one of the methods. Most of the time, you're using live scope to position the boat, whether it's off a drop, to find out where a rock pile is at, find out where a brush pile is at, find out where the fish are, maybe the school slid off. So you're using it more as an orientation tool than anything else. And so you can use that almost any time you're offshore. But the third thing that you're using it for is you're using it for an environmental study. I think this is where potentially maybe that separates the good from the great is understanding, picking up on those environmental factors. And what I mean by that is, uh, let me give you one example. Uh, fall fishing, a few years back, I just had live scope. I roll into an area. It's a typical, it's a, it's a lake that I fish all the time. I'm not going to mention the lake because I've got tournaments coming on, on it. <laughs> But I roll in on it, and I'm throwing a topwater in practice, and they're just eating it up. But on my live scope, so I'm throwing a like a buzz bait and a plopper. I'm not seeing the individual fish at all. I'm throwing it up in the shallow rocks where you can't see anything. But I look down at my live scope through like my peripherals as I fish, and there's bait just rolling everywhere. Well, the next day, which is tournament day when it matters, I show up, I put the troll motor down, and before I make a first cast, I tell my coin we're going to have to find somewhere else to go. He's like, well, <laughs> we haven't made a cast. I said, of course, we're going to prove it out, right? We're going to spend 15 minutes going to. So we go down it, and guess what? I catch a couple shorts, maybe one little squeaker keeper, and that's it. Where the day before, I was catching threes and fours and fives, just left and right rolling, you know, hooks rolled to pull them off, but big fish. So without the line scope, back in the day, the next pass may have been with a crankbait, and the next pass may have been with a shaky head. And I might have spent two hours or maybe at least an hour for sure on that spot trying to relocate those fish. Instead, because I've got the live scope and I understand my environmental factors have changed, I pick up the troll motor and go. We put the troll motor on high all day long. I end up going into an area I've never been in my life, and there I see it. The bait are rolling, and I know right away it's about to happen. And then goosh, goosh, goosh. Wow. Sounds like a lot of environmental uh, conditions. You're able to pick up that much quicker things in the environment or in the ecosystem you couldn't see previously. That's really cluing you into your understanding of, yeah, they're probably here or, yeah, they're probably not. Yeah, and I think it also answers why a lot of times. And I think if you understand the why, that's when you start patterning fish. And the other thing about it is when we're going to these lakes and we've got two or three days practice and that's it. And, we, you know, we have no you know off limit period and you have no information eliminating water and practice. We don't talk about it enough. And it is as important as finding fish. And the people, a lot of people say, well, no, because you find fish. Well, no, like how many times have you been on fish? You're catching fish, but your mind's still telling you maybe if I do this thing or this thing, I might catch bigger fish. And so, like, for instance, when I was in Saginaw Bay three weeks ago up in the up in the reeds, catching them, flipping and frogging and swim jigging, yeah. people may think, well, he didn't use his livescope. Well, yeah, I did. I spent two days prior to that day out trying to livescope catching fish, and I completely eliminated that stuff out of my mind. So when I was up there catching them, nothing in my mind told me, hey, I didn't have to, I didn't have to fight no demons. You know, and no demons told me, hey, go offshore and use your livescope. No, I'm just going to stay right here. I've already proven that thing out. I've eliminated that. Well done. I love the way you describe that. Appreciate that breakdown. We're going to continue to hear the story and evolution of what's going on with John Sukup as we power pole down for a quick bake. We're going to be right back with professional angler John Sukup. 
patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment. The PowerPole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge is presented in part by Mercury Marine, returning with professional angler John Sukup in this episode's featured angler spotlight. Mercury Marine, go boldly. John, a little bit later after we talk about some thoughts of August fishing, we're going to dive into that little live scope setup and, and, you know, the bass tank. I don't know what you'd call it. Expertise, right? The, the sonar expertise and, and setup over there at the bass tank. But first, we got to talk about some August fishing, man. Bass behavior, which now... Now well known to everybody what you love to understand about bass fishing not necessarily catching but their behavior man it's difficult to predict as they move around get a little sluggish in this month of august how do you see bass setting up on lakes in oklahoma this time of year i think you got three different kinds of lakes as i'm sitting here thinking and maybe there's four but in oklahoma you've got a lot of city lakes uh, a lot of city lakes lakes that will have tournament jackpots on but not big tournaments and those lakes are typically silted in they're they're dammed up of a big creek in the, in the area typically it's got grass around the edges and a lot of them uh, are muddy some of them aren't but a lot of them are really really muddy so i think in august your main conversation piece no matter what kind of lake you're talking about is i think you're looking for the oxygen so in those smaller lakes those fish are going to move to the oxygen so that's a whole other conversation where that's at a lot of times it's in the creeks those creeks uh you know have wind current blowing a lot of times the water is 10 degrees cooler in the back of those creeks so those fish i think are are moving a lot towards the oxygenated water mm. uh, in august probably more than any time of year and so then you've got your river systems, uh, like an Arkansas River. Right. I think the answer is the same there. Um, current is not always the answer to oxygen, but it's a big part of it. It's Helps definitely it a, a big sure. part of it. Yeah. So you, you got depth, you got shade, you got, you know, other factors that help create current, um, like the sedimentation on the bottom. You know, if there's, if it's a nasty bottom, it's going to eat up the oxygen. If it's more of a harder sandy bottom, there could be oxygen in six inches of water, like on a Texoma that's got a lot of salt content. It's my favorite lake in August because you can go in two inches of water and throw a topwater all day long. And there's big largemouth and smallmouth up there all day long because there's so much salt in that body of water. The oxygen level is actually higher up uh, shallower. And so those big gizzards get up. And that's why we're talking about the oxygen. It's not because sure. the bass want to be there. It's because bait the bait, the big bait. Yeah. And in Oklahoma, we got gizzards. For the big fish, you want to target the gizzards. You can catch fish targeting other, you know, whether you're talking about crawdads or other kind of shad or whatever. But if you want the giants, you, you got to target the gizzards. And then the third style lake is like your grand lake, you know, just your, your bigger reservoirs, your grands, your four Gibsons, your 10 killers. Um, you fall it down by the dam, not, not any of the other parts. Um, those, you know, it's oxygen again. And now we're getting into a thick thermocline. So um, I really like to find the thermocline first. And, and I think that the biggest fish will reside in and around that thermocline a lot of times if if they're not choosing to be one of those fish that stay in a marina or going to backwater or something like that. So we're looking for the brush piles, rock piles, things that nature that are offshore. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. that reside around that best oxygen level. Great breakdown, man. I like the I like the breakdown of the styles of fish trees. I think oftentimes those are overlooked. Like uh you just think about XYZ seasonal pattern and and of course 
there are several seasonal patterns based on what you just explained, that type of fishery. So, so important, really a fundamental of bass fishing that a lot of people overlook. So uh, great stuff. John, curious to know how your development has grown with kind of the different venues you've seen the past 18 months throughout the country and, and really what would be your take on how to be successful as a traveling tournament angler? Because obviously you've you've had to kind of come up with your system pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't know if I have a full answer for that. I'm still in the learning process. Uh, I will tell you, I love it. I love the challenge. I love the highs and lows. I mean, I don't know how many days you get off the water and you're like, I am horrible at fishing. I cannot find a bass to save my life. How am I supposed to compete tomorrow in this tournament? And and then all of a sudden it clicks and you put it together and you're like, wow, like there's, okay, you know, I'm starting to figure this thing out. So development wise, I feel like I'm becoming a better angler every day. Um, every day that I'm out there competing, I'm becoming better and better and better. I know I have a lot of room to grow. These northern fisheries have really been challenging, not to catch fish, but to win or dominate or to catch, you know, the big fish. And, and so, uh, you know, and some of the eastern stuff has been a challenge for me too as well. So that's a work in progress, to be honest with you. But I do feel like you give me a couple of years out there uh, messing around with that stuff and we're going to start doing really good out there as well because there's something about it. I think it's the challenge, and I think as long as you're challenged and you love what you're doing, you become great at what you're doing, and that's that's how I feel about it. Like, one day, I will be great at fishing those northern and eastern waters. That's cool. Man, I'll take you back, just in your mind, you know, 24 months ago, before you kick off the inaugural MPFL season, we, we all think, hey, man, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do good. I mean, you're kicking ass, bro. <laughs> so when you look at that from a 24-month-ago perspective and you take it to today, as we talked about in the intro, there's six tournaments in the NPFL. You won two of them last year. You got probably about 85 anglers fishing all nine Bassmaster Opens this year. You're leading the Angler of the Year points overall, potentially on the doorstep of a possible qualification for the Elite Series in 2023. When you look at at that process, is it a place where you thought you'd be right now? Or how does the mindset created from, you know, that success process? Two years ago, 24 months ago, you stepped back. And I'm just hoping that my skill set's good enough to compete. You know, I haven't really put it out there to be challenged at this level. You know, I fished a lot of local stuff and won a whole lot of local stuff and been, you know, like BFL Angler of the Year, Bass Nation Angler of the Year, half a dozen times probably. And, you know, so I've done that. But the first win, it did a lot for me. It did a lot for my confidence. And, and it was more like, just settle in. You've got this. You know you know what you're doing. It's not like I had to change anything, do something wild, just be who I was as a fisherman and it will all come together. And I had a lot of joy, a lot of happiness, a lot of peace fishing. And, you know, Panger called me one day and he made the comment about needing to cash a check or, you know, wanting to do better or something in tournaments. He was kind of asking me about my success recently. And I, I made a comment to him that I'm going to repeat to you guys. I've repeated it several times. I said, you know, Matt, I was like, you know what helps cash and check? He's like, what's that? And I said, not having to cash checks. Don't, don't get me wrong. That's not a cocky statement about my financial state. It's a mental state. If you go out there stressed about cash and check, you're not having fun. You're not at peace. You're not listening to what the fish are telling you, and you're going to struggle. Um, Trying to stay in that happy place, like a happy Gilmore, go to your, go to right. your happy place. Right. What I'm trying to connect into what you're saying here is the confidence level. Right. Um, my confidence level has gone way up. I have felt since I was a kid 
I know this is weird, but I have felt destined that this is where I belong is at the top level of professional bass fishing. How did I ever think I would ever get there? I didn't. There's a lot of these things that have been blessings and time that I didn't plan that they just came my way. And I'm really just trying to make the, the most of it. Today, as I sit 24 months later, I think I'm ready, man. I think I'm ready for that top level. I don't think that I'm going to rush in the elites and dominate the elites. I may get out there and be a bottom tier guy. But that's not what I want. I want to be able to be on the elite, compete with those guys, and, you know, have something to say about it. I want that challenge in my life. We've definitely put the commitment forward, you know, fishing all six MPFL events this year, all nine Bassmaster Opens. I'm sure you're throwing in something around the house here and there for fun. So, but uh, a major 15 tournament schedule is, uh, man, it's a solid commitment to uh, tournament angling. So the, the effort has been put forth. John, it's time to go into our listener question brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. We had a question sent in from Brian Fredrickson. He resides out in San Diego. It's interesting. You know, you talked a little bit when you broke down August fishing about uh, oxygen was your big thing. You talked current. Here's Brian's question. Different part of the country, but fundamentalistic, right? He says, I like to fish the lower Colorado River in the Yuma, Arizona area. This time of year in July and August, it gets really hot, almost always over 100, often over 110. Locally, it's accepted that the fish will be in the river, not in the backwater because moving water is cooler, perhaps more oxygenated. But the two marina areas where I launch have quite a few docks that provide shade, guessing the docks have some current because they are close to the river channel about 50 to 200 yards from that main river channel current what's your opinion to focus on the shade or the moving water you gotta answer a question with a question almost i don't i don't know know this part of the body of the water but yes the oxygen is the most important above all so what I mean is I don't know what the I don't know what the bait fish are like. I, do they have those giant red ears? Does the bass population have some of those giant ten pounders that love to eat red ears? You know, because you're going in July, you still got fish red ears and stuff still potentially on bed. So you've got a different environment there to look at potentially than just chasing bait fish like we do in Oklahoma and what we talk about. So I mean, I would have to go out there for a couple of days and I'd have to give it a little bounce back and forth. I'd have to go out and try the current. I feel like that's your number one spot to to focus, but, you know, focus on some shade around some docks that potentially still have some giant brim that have just either spawned or are still spawning could potentially give you an opportunity to catch a giant. And so I I would actually say you've got to, you've got to taste test both and let the fish tell you what's going on that day. My thought process when I first read this question is, well, you know, he mentions the word docks and, and I'm assuming because they're close to the channel, maybe a marina, you know, and he, and he mentions yeah, two marinas, actually. Yeah, so so I, I throw this out to you, being the live scope genius that you are, is it as simple as just cruising around the edge of those dots and shooting that forward-facing sonar to see if there's fish in that shape? You can definitely do that for activity. The second thing you do is if, it, if you don't see anything, in it, but it looks right, is take a spoon or something active and pitch it out there in those spots and watch it go down and see what happens. Because a lot of times you'll have fish, especially on lakes. I'm assuming this lake's also a clear water lake. That area of part of the country is known for really clear water, right? So, like, yeah. those fish in clear water have the ability of just disappearing. Like, you don't see them, and then all of a sudden they show up. 
So test something out. Throw a bait out there and watch. You may not get bit, but watch if fish chase it down or if they show up. John, I would totally agree with you on that because my experience on lakes like, let's say, Table Rock, which is a clear lake, that, you know, there's some docks on there, but also Lake of the Ozarks, you know, that spooning technique, sometimes they'll be, they might be completely on the bottom or other times, like on Lake of the Ozarks, they might be holding right under the capsulated foam and, you know, distinguishing that on your forward-facing sonar, that uh, can be difficult. So I, I think you're onto something there. Excellent question, Brian. And John, certainly we appreciate you providing him your thoughts. Brian, we need one more thing from you, and that is to be sure to log on to BassEdge.com. Click the Claim Your Prize tab. Fill out the information letting us know that you heard John answer your question right here on episode 381, and we will get the Midway USA gift certificate for all things bass fishing and the outdoors sent directly to your doorstep. And as always, continued reminder, keep firing in those questions on our Facebook, Instagram, and website. You can just simply click the Ask the Pros tab there on the website and uh, shoot us a question you'd like to hear on the show. Have a chance to win that Midway USA gift card. John, real quickly, before we kind of close down the interview, I promised we would talk a little bit about your setup there. You know, Bass Tank uh, there in Tulsa, Oklahoma area. Really, uh, you know, one of those premier electronics shops that can take a consumer to the next level in that department from powering units to providing units to even as as we mentioned you know you guys give support to understanding helping consumers understand their electronics once they buy them but uh really the big thing nowadays and and we've talked about it a little bit here on bass edge is power right power is a, a critical aspect from cranking engines running live wells Running the graphs that take a lot of electricity these days, a lot of battery power, I should say. Give me the John Sukup Bass Tank Boat setup that you're running out there on tour. Yeah, so the the answer is clean power as well. So there's three basic fundamentals to it, I mean, which includes your install. So we got an install shop, but you've got your battery source. Then you've got your your harness, which is going to be like your conduit from your powers from your battery to your electronic. And then the other side is the actual electronic that you're using. And so the bass tank, we've spent three years and we've developed what we call the bass tank power harness. And that can be shipped nationwide. Anybody can buy it. They can install it or they can bring their boat up to us and we can do a custom one for your boat depending on what you need. But we got single and double harnesses depending on how many units you're going to be running. But for me, I'm running ProGuide lithium batteries. I've got an express boat, so I have... I have space issues. I don't, I can't have as many batteries as others. So I use a power pole charge system to keep my, I got two 36 volt trolling batteries running in parallel and I've got two 12 volt batteries running in parallel. So that basically makes two batteries, if you will. And both, um, both sets of are lithium. Is that right? Correct. Everything's lithium. And so that's all um, kept charged by the PowerPole charge. I obviously have dry chargers in case something happens that I carry with me, but I haven't had to use them. But I bring them with me in case you have to do something. But then I've got the Bass Tank power harness that runs um, that power clean to my console and to the front to the trolling motor setup. So I've got at my console, I, have, I run two 12s. I've got two Garmin 8600 series. I went for a long time, I only had one. But due to the forced pressure of going to waters that I've never been to and have two or three days to practice, I have two units. So I'll run a down and side imaging in two different color palettes right next to each other along with mapping. Uh, as I all around, cause when I, new waterways, depending on a lot of factors, a lot of different factors, everything you can think of, one color palette may work better even from hour to hour on one waterway than the other. 
there's definitely times that I idle through an area and I look down and one color palette, I don't see anything. I look over the other, I'm like, oh, wow, look at this. So I need that efficiency in my life. So I have, that's why I have two running side by side. Uh, and then up, up front, I've actually, for a long time, I got away with just having one 16-inch graph. And I would split screen that and I'd run live scope mapping and 2D sonar all at the same time. <clears throat> and I could, I could open up it to a bigger screen if I want to. But recently, with the northern swings and kind of knowing the need for the rock piles, I've added another live scope that's in perspective mode. So I have another unit up there at 1022. I got a 10 inch and a 16 inch on a beat down mount where I can raise it up. I'm six foot four. You know, sometimes I want to raise it up higher so I'm not hunched over all the time. I can see it better. And that helps me with efficiency as well because I do touch my screen a lot. I adjust and readjust a lot of settings, whether it's ranging in on out of fish, whether it's tweaking my gain or whatever. I'm always tuning my units in to that day, to that moment, to that hour of what I'm seeing. And then I've got a Garmin Force troll motor, which is the 36-volt troll motor up front. And um, never ran out of power on my trolling motor, so I've got power for days. Those brushless trolling motors, the efficiency is, I think they're four times more efficient. Uh, I don't think they're twice as efficient. I think they're four times more efficient. It just feels that way as far as how much life you get out of your battery. Uh, That's great information, John, and I appreciate you sharing that. You know, like Kurt said, this has been a fantastic informational, educational interview. I hate to shut it down, but uh, we do need to call it quick to at some point in time. And certainly this will not be your last time on Bass Edge. I can promise you that. But any closing remarks or thoughts uh, before we we transition out of the out of the episode? Oh, no. I mean, my, my closing thoughts or remarks, man, I'm I'm just like every other fisherman that's out there. Somehow I've been blessed with an opportunity to live the dream. And I'm trying to make the most of it. I appreciate all the support that I get on my Instagram, Facebook page. I've got a YouTube channel, The Hookup with Soakup. Trying my my hand in that as well. You can support me there and just just watch, like, share, subscribe. And, you know, hopefully we can kind of make this dream happen together. Dude, that's awesome, man. John, I look forward to seeing you down there in early September on the upper Chesapeake. But uh, I know you got a, another MPFL event coming up at the uh, at Sandusky Bay. Little small mouth, large mouth mix over there, man. It'll be fun to watch over there on Lake Erie at the end of the month. So uh, good luck up there and Bass Edge Nation. Y'all hang in there. Aaron and I are going to provide some final thoughts on the show in just a moment after these messages. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it. Power how you need it. Power when you need it. Hey, 
Aaron, like I mentioned in the intro for John, a little under the radar, but uh, now Bass Edge Nation knows this guy is the real deal, man. He's uh, he's got something special going on, and it's going to be exciting to watch. But before we we talk a, a couple about John's interview highlights, I want to swing back to our Seg B George Accord from Susquehanna Fish and Tackle talking about iCast. I want to throw another tidbit on a product you don't want to sleep on that I saw at iCast. And uh, that was a company called Bubba. They make, of all things, like fillet knives and uh, some fishing tools. And this kind of thing is has been their mainstay. But they came out with a scale, Aaron. Probably the most really? popular scale, you think, maybe the Rapala, right? Right, for sure. That's what I own. Yeah. Probably the Rapala scale is most pot. You know, there's some things that can be improved with the Rapala. We all know it's hard to see. Um, just the, you know, the touch screen is really nice, but it's not fluid. I would say, right? Right. So, Especially when you're trying to cull and you know you've got your hands are wet and everything else. Great point. Great point. So, Bubba is coming out with a scale in 2023. It's not available yet, but they debuted it at iCast. And, uh, dude, this thing is legit, bro. It is absolutely legit. It has like a little toggle, kind of like a video game push button deal. So you're not actually pushing the screen itself. And it's got a couple of different functions where you can fish against a few friends. Um, you can do tournament. Uh, mode where you're, you know, similar to the Rapala scale where it keeps your best eight or best five and you can actually set it to, to what the tournament is. It could be even best three. You could set it to best three. So it's got a couple additional functions. And, uh, the cool thing too is it connects to an app on your phone so you can play with other people at other lakes or people on the same lake and kind of do that live scoring seeing what their weight is that was weighed on the Bubba scale so uh, I got to throw that out there dude new iCast product the Bubba scale the digi scale and uh, so check that out very interesting I will definitely do that because uh, even though like you said Rapala is probably the premier from a tournament perspective of having the bins and the culling and things like that yeah um, anxious to see the Bubba scale yeah, yeah, it's cool stuff. Actually, I'll throw a shout out to Bassmaster.com. They actually also have a video on the Bubba scale. So Google the the Bubble DigiScale Bassmaster.com. You can watch a little video that they did there at the iCast booth. So check that out if you're interested. Secondarily, let's swing back to the present where we just talked to John Sokup and uh, dude, what, what do you think about that success, right? Well, I mean, not only the success, the thing that really stands out to me, Kurt, we've talked about this many times, you know, we used to have uh, the, the pond boss on here, fisheries biologist back in the day. And right. you know, one of his comments that I always remember, he said, biologists will start the answer to a question. Well, we think John's assertions were different because of growing up raising koi fish. And, and then that whole story, you can see why and how all of that has came together in what seems like a short period of time, but it's really, you know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert. Uh, right. he's, he's got a lifetime invested in this. Yeah, he does. And he mentioned in the interview, one of the very first people to ever have live sonar 
on his equipment there back in 2000 and I think it was 18 at the FLW Cup. So, dude, that's been a long time working with that stuff. And and now he's not just focused on the fish. He's he's dialed in. Oh, there's this, there's that. But it's it's the environment around him that's really telling him a story that live is giving him that information of that story so he can ascertain more quickly when to go, when to stay. Is this going to be productive? Maybe, probably not, or whatever that case is. And 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 also he's interested in I'll go take it back to the Rick Clun days, right? His interest is in the behavior pattern, not necessarily just the fish catching, but he really likes to understand or put that puzzle together of what the fish patterns and behaviors are, which leads him, I feel like, to that catching success. So great story on John Sukup. I'm, I'm super stoked he was uh, able to, to hang out with us here on the show. Brother, it's been a, uh, a freaking, I don't want to say a marathon, but a, a solid, solid length episode with some great information. Yeah, a little longer than, than usual, but I think that's perfectly okay. ICAST episode always brings with it, you know, some added time just because, and we didn't even begin to touch yeah. everything that was covered there, just really yes. some of the highlights. I also want to point out, you know, John talked about a lot about the mental game. And just as a reminder for those who might be new to Bass Edge, Dr. Jay McNamara's book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, how many times have you heard us, Kurt, talk about just the mental aspects and how that plays in? Um, it seems like almost every episode our featured anglers. comes up every time someone yeah. is having some significant success. It heads back to the mind for sure. That's right. That's right. And even within all athletics, you know, people are working with sports psychologists and all that kind of thing. So uh, if you haven't checked that out, be sure to take time to do that. But in the meantime, Kurt, we have, uh, I think, ran over just a little bit, but that's okay. Hopefully, listeners, I, I know I certainly found uh, a lot of value in the information presented today. Another great show that you've uh, put together. Uh, wish you the best of luck in the coming weeks and look forward to hanging out again in a couple of weeks for episode number 382. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin and the rest of the Bass Edge crew. Wish uh, all of you a hopefully a little bit cooler and maybe some precipitation mixed in there with it. Have a great couple weeks, everybody. We'll see you August 15th. So long. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.